Well, good Easter Sunday to you. I'm Melissa Moore. It is Mile High Magazine. We appreciate you being here on this Sunday morning. So we're talking with Dr. Ubezi, the sleep specialist for Optum Colorado. Good morning, doctor. Good morning, Melissa. Good to be with you. Well, good to have you here. I know last month we saw Sleep Awareness Week in the middle of March, and health professionals were encouraging people to learn more about the benefits of sleep and really commit to getting better sleep at night and having better sleep practices. Why is our sleep so important? Sleep is uh, very important because it's essential to life and I'm going to start from uh, the extreme scenario and uh, walk back from there. So study shows that uh, absolute uh, lack of sleep will lead to absolute death and those obviously studies done a long time ago on animals. So sleep is as essential to life as eating and drinking. Now we do know that lack of sleep or lack of quality of sleep have significant impact on the quality of life and uh, health in general. Uh, to start with, uh, lack of sleep or poor quality of sleep is associated with uh, poor, sleep, uh, poor uh, quality of life, uh, difficulty concentrating, uh, drop in performance. Uh, uh, it affects uh, the short-term and long-term memory. Uh, also, um, the lack of sleep or poor sleep quality is strongly associated with uh, mood disorder, including depression and anxiety. Uh, we do know from uh, the obstructive sleep apnea literature that uh, a patient who have uh, obstructive sleep apnea and poor sleep quality, uh, they are at increased risk for hypertension, diabetes, cardiac arrhythmia, cardio um, strokes, as well as dementia. And a uh, large uh, observational study looked uh, back at a group of people who won't get enough sleep and there's a signal of uh, increased mortality, increased uh, risk of death. Uh, so sleep is very, very essential. We spend third of our life sleeping and it's very important to be sure that we have quality of sleep. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, that is a long list of some pretty serious consequences from not getting good, uh, good enough sleep. So let's talk first about some of the basics uh, for adults. How much sleep are they really needing a night? The answer to that question uh, for adults is most of people will need at least seven hours of sleep. But I want to touch base because there's a, a transition as we as we grow. Basically, uh, our need of sleep uh, and the total amount of sleep that we need every night decreases as we grow. And to start with, as a, an infant, we need up to 16 hours of sleep. Then when we get to the preschool, basically age three to five, the range is 10 to 13. Uh, when we get to teenager and uh, teenager don't get enough sleep, uh, the recommended amount of sleep is uh, 8 to 10 hours of sleep. As adults, um, the recommendation is for 7 plus hours of sleep. Now, there is an exception to that rule. There's a subset of people who give themselves and their bodies uh, enough and uh, proper opportunity to sleep and they maintain a very good sleep hygiene uh, and uh, they do okay with less than 7 hours of sleep without any consequence on their health. That's a small subset of people people and um, those people would be okay, but that's not the majority. The majority of us need at least seven hours of sleep. Okay. I was going to say, you always hear those people, Tiger Woods is one of them, who says, well, I get by on five hours of sleep and I feel great. And I know for myself, I need at least eight hours of sleep. So is that normal to have that big of a discrepancy between people? Yes, uh, it is normal because we're a very different individual. Uh, and what I usually ask the patient, uh, which will help us answer that question, is when you give yourself the proper opportunity to sleep as much as your body is asking you to sleep. Are you doing that? And if you do it, how much of sleep do you need? And then you will know. 
And the majority of people will need seven hours slot. There's a subset of people which we call the short sleeper who will do okay with less than that. And there, there's another subset of people who will need up to 10 hours of sleep to feel good. And none of those people will have a problem if they give themselves the proper opportunity uh, to sleep when their body is asking them to. Well, I was going to say, what are some of the most common problems that people have? I mean, is TV and iPads and phones, does that all play a role in us not getting enough sleep and going to bed early? enough? Absolutely. So the most common problem that we face uh, when uh, patients come to our office is as simple as people don't get enough sleep. And the reason for that is uh, been built uh, over the last hundred years with the uh, uh, invention of electricity and the invention of the artificial light to our life. And then more recently, the huge advances in technology where we have TV, iPad, iPhones uh, in our bedroom. And all those invasion of uh, uh, interruption and light uh, and uh, distraction from sleep has led to uh, um, quite a bit of the population in the best estimate 30 to 40 percent of adults don't get enough sleep in the U.S. Yeah I mean I, I see it every single day so you talked about not getting enough sleep probably being one of the biggest problems but what are some of the other most common kinds of sleep issues or disorders that you see as a sleep specialist? The most common two we see besides uh, uh, not getting enough sleep is uh, basically insomnia, which is the inability to uh, initiate or maintain sleep, and uh, uh, which will lead uh, to um, poor um, quality of life during the day or other uh, health consequences. So that we will address. And most of the time, reviewing with the patients the proper sleep hygiene and what they're doing with their life could solve this problem. In some instances, uh, there's a true entity which is called cool. Uh, chronic insomnia that require further intervention like uh, cognitive behavior therapy and sometimes medication. So insomnia is pretty common. And the other common uh, sleep disorders that we see in our clinic is obstructive sleep apnea. And obstructive sleep apnea is a disease where uh, the individual do not maintain uh, proper breathing when sleeping, and that will lead to dropping the oxygen level. Uh, this is due to collapse of the upper airway when they're sleeping. It's very, very common. It's increasing in prevalence in the U.S., because it's uh, strongly uh, uh, associated also with um, uh, the obesity uh, prevalence, which increasing in the U.S. So obstructive sleep apnea is very common, and to make the diagnosis of it, uh, we will need to usually do a sleep study, and we treat it with uh, uh, CPAP as uh, the most common uh, and most effective form of treatment. And there's other alternative to CPAP in some cases, like dental device or more recently, Inspire device that some people maybe heard the commercial of it on radio. I was curious about that for sleep apnea, is it something that gets implanted in your body? Did I understand that right? That's correct. So Inspire device is approved by the FDA and basically to uh, to describe it to patient is a device that implanted in the chest wall. It sends uh, when uh, you having those episodes of interruption in your breathing due to collapse of your airway. And what it does is accumulate uh, the nerve responsible of activating the muscles that keep your airway open. So in, um, in a layman, in a simple way to explain it, this is what it is. And basically the patient activated before they go to bed uh, and they sleep when it's on and it maintains their airway open. It's not the first line of treatment for um, obstructive sleep apnea, but it's definitely effective treatment for moderate or severe uh, obstructive sleep apnea means the patient is not able to tolerate or uh, be compliant with the CPAP. Um, that's in general what inspired, inspired device is. Okay. And how dangerous, if sleep apnea is such a, a big problem, how dangerous is it to have sleep apnea and not have it diagnosed? 
So uh, we have the, actually most of the evidence that we know about food sleep quality and how it, how it affects your life is uh, coming from the obstructive sleep apnea studies and literature. And uh, obstructive sleep apnea will uh, definitely, depending on the severity, but overall obstructive sleep apnea will lead to, uh, um, first and foremost, is an individual who presents either tired, sleepy, not able to perform, uh, lack of uh, energy during the day. So the quality of life is poor and there's a very strong association there. Uh, obstructive sleep apnea is associated with worsening depression and anxiety, so it's very connected to mood disorder. Uh, from the other medical problem perspective, it's, the most evidence is from cardiovascular risk factors, more specifically high blood pressure. So untreated obstructive sleep apnea could worsen hypertension and treated obstructive sleep apnea will help it. Also strokes, cardiac arrhythmia, uh, so this is, and diabetes, so those are the most common problems, as well as weight, weight gain. Obesity. Weight gain on top of that, that's interesting. What what causes that? Because uh, we, the obstructive sleep apnea affects uh, basically the hormones that signal to the brain the uh, feeling of being hungry, in, in simple terms to explain it, and that lead over a long period of time for the patient to gain weight. This is what we think the pathway is. So it can be really dangerous to your overall health if you've got sleep issues like sleep apnea and you don't get them diagnosed. Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. And uh, obstructive sleep apnea uh, is responsible also for um, uh, work uh, accidents, uh, car accidents. So it's a significant health problem that needs to be addressed. So somebody feels like, or maybe they feel like their partner has a sleep apnea, sleep issues. What do they need to do? What's the next course of steps? Uh, the best way to diagnose, or the only way to diagnose obstructive sleep apnea, uh, first, when the patient presents to the physician, uh, there's uh, numerous uh, screening questionnaires that uh, look for red flags, including snoring, interrupted sleep, fatigue, sleepiness, what's the weight, what's the next size because those are risk factors associated with sleep apnea. But when there's a suspicion about obstructive sleep apnea, then the next step is to do a sleep study. And for most of people who are healthy and don't have other complex medical problems, a sleep study at home, a device that you wear one night and you sleep with it and will monitor your breathing and your oxygen level uh, will be a good enough test to establish the diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea. And afterwards, your physician will decide uh, what kind of treatment you would be candidate for. You know, I think I always thought that you had to go somewhere and sleep at a, a certain location to have that done. But you're saying now you can do it at home. So the, to, to know if you have sleep apnea or not, and if you are a candidate, and the candidacy basically for patients who do not have complex cardiac or uh, uh, pulmonary diseases, the diagnosis could be made uh, with uh, the home sleep study, which is, yes, you pick up a device, you sleep with it, you bring it back to the sleep lab usually, and we will read the data and make the diagnosis. Now, the treatment part, uh, then it gets a little bit more uh, sophisticated and uh, have nuance to it. And a lot of, pe- a lot of people who have obstructive sleep apnea without other medical problems could be candidate for automatic CPAP, which basically they don't need to go to the sleep lab to go through a, a dedicated sleep study. But for more complex sleep apnea or complex patients who have other medical problems or the people who have a significant drop in their oxygen level associated with the sleep apnea, uh, for those people uh, in lab sleep study will be needed to determine what kind of treatment will be the best option for that patient. Then they will receive the device and start using it at home. If they go through the pathway of feeding the obstructive sleep apnea with CPAP. Now, for mild or moderate diseases, uh, degree of obstructive sleep apnea, a custom-made adjustable dental device, which uh, your, your dentist or your ENT, uh, ENT doctor 
able to make it for you, which will basically advance your lower jaw to open up the space behind your tongue and minimize or decrease how frequently and how significant the collapse of the upper airway happens to you when you're sleeping. That could be an option for obstetric sleep apnea. Uh, rarely surgical intervention is needed. And again, we talked earlier about Inspire device. It is approved as a second line of treatment for moderate to severe obstetric sleep apnea. All right. And one final question for you, doctor. Uh, if somebody's having trouble sleeping, what should they do first? Uh, apply common sense. Uh, ask yourself, am I doing all the right things that I need to do to have a healthy sleep habit? And that's all by asking yourself, am I giving myself enough opportunity to sleep? Am I uh, restricting the use of the bedroom for sleep only? So I'm not going to the bedroom to watch TV or to, to do my homework or to complete my work or to eat or maintaining uh, uh, the bedroom as a sleep environment is very important. Am I having a quiet, uh, cool, dark enough bedroom? Am I avoiding to have to have caffeine six hours before I go to bed and I'm not going about the limits of how much caffeine I should have every day? And by the way, the FDA side, that uh, the limit of uh, the safe limit to have uh, caffeine is 400 milligrams uh, of caffeine a day. And if you go to Starbucks and you order the smallest cup of coffee, you're getting 250 milligrams of caffeine and more. So a lot of people overtake more than they should caffeine during the day. Uh, am I min- oh yeah, am I maintaining a stable sleep schedule? Am I giving myself the opportunity to sleep uh, when my body is asking me to do that? So you start with those common sense questions and then you build from there. Am I giving myself enough time to unwind before I go to bed? Uh, also, exposure to uh, uh, the sunlight and bright light during the day is important to maintain our proper circadian rhythm. Uh, am, I, am I doing enough physical activity to maintain my circadian rhythm? And the opposite, am I avoiding bright light exposure and the bright screen exposure late in the evening because the bright light will stimulate your brain and will make it difficult for you to fall asleep? So you start with those questions. Dr. Ubezi, thank you so much for being here with us today. It is Easter Sunday morning. I'm Melissa Moore. It is Mile High Magazine. Dr. Hazim Ubezi, he is the sleep specialist for Optum Colorado. I think we've all learned a lot about just how important it is to get a lot of sleep, but also the quality of sleep, how it changes with your age, and what to do if you suspect that you have sleep apnea. Definitely get more information, you know, because according to the CDC, not getting enough sleep can be linked to many chronic heart diseases diseases and hazardous health conditions, including type 2 diabetes, obesity, and depression. So it's definitely important to take your sleep seriously. Go out, have a great Sunday, be blessed, be kind to everyone. I'll see you back here next Sunday morning.